The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Uh, Good morning to all of you. Love you all so much. Draw your swords. Turn your Bibles, if you will to Leviticus 11 and Hebrews 8. Leviticus 11 and Hebrews 8. If you've been with us, you know that we are in the process of unveiling the vision that we believe God has for New Covenant Community Church. This is week three of four, so we are now over halfway done as we unveil that and that's certainly a piece that we are going to be getting to today but what I hope is made clear to you today if you have never truly understood how works how Christian works and faith fit together if that has been a question mark in your mind my sincere hope and prayer is that you would walk away today with those things certain in your heart and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that's stronger than it's ever been before Leviticus 11 and Hebrews 8. Having grown up out in the country, as I know many of you did, I was exposed to livestock. And uh, as many of us were, I know many of us came from that kind of background and are still uh, in that world. And you learn many things growing up on a farm like that. But one of the things that I'm very thankful, very grateful to have been able to learn is how to do horseshoeing, how to blacksmith work or, uh, or farrier work as it's called. And, and I'm not really sure why, but uh, the, the man who my family would hire to come out and do the blacksmith work on the animals that we had, the horses that we had out on the farm, he decided one day that he was going to teach me. And I'd always been fascinated by this, by this skill, this trade of blacksmithing, because you, if you've ever watched this process of a farrier or blacksmith replacing the shoes on a horse and trimming their feet and shaping they take the shoe to the anvil and they skillfully use the hammer and the anvil to shape the shoe and all these things it's it's a fascinating process to watch and I'd always been intrigued by it and for whatever reason this fair that we had he said Ben he says and I'm 14 years old at the time he says Ben I want you to buy a pair of fairs chaps I'm going to start teaching you next week (laughs) or next time I come out and I'm like all right so six weeks later when it was due for him to come out again there I am, six feet tall, 14 years old, 130 pounds soaking wet with these thick, stiff leather chaps that make me walk around like this, and I was ready to go. And, uh, and what we did was we'd lead two horses up side by side, tie them off to the, to the fence posts, and, and he would pick up, if you've ever seen this process, you know you pick up the hoof of the animal and you place it between your knees so you can kind of lean against the animal and, and you freeze both of your hands up to be able to work on the hoof of this animal and and I would be up next to him on the animal next to him and I would be watching him and all these things and and in this process of me learning this there were two things that were happening the first thing that was happening is that I was striving to be like him I was watching how he was using the farrier's rasp I was I was trying to position my body in the way that he was I was trying to interact with the animal in the way that he was and and I was trying to mimic him and all these things that I was watching him doing, he had skill in his hands. He had an ability that I didn't have that I was watching to observe and so that hopefully those things would become my own. Now the other thing that was happening is that I was totally relying on him to get the job done. He had the tools that I didn't have. Uh, he had equipment that I didn't have. He had strength in his body. It's a very 
a trialsome task as a farrier or a blacksmith. You have to have very strong legs and back to be able to withstand staying stooped over for long periods of time to work on the hoof of this animal. He had knowledge, years of experience that I clearly did not have. And, and, and make no mistake, there to get the job done, it, I was totally relying on his ability to make sure that, that this horse could still walk by the time that I was finished with it. So I was both trying to be like him and knowing good and well that I needed him to get the job done. I'd like to preach to you today about two kinds of holiness. Everyone say the word holiness. The first kind is the kind where we strive to be holy like Jesus. We lead the horse of our life up next to Him. We watch His life. We observe how Jesus interacted with people. How He preached. How He taught. How He was merciful and compassionate. We, we watch those things. We observe. We try to position ourselves like Him in our speech and our thoughts. We try to be like Him as we observe those things. The other kind of holiness is the kind that we totally rely on Jesus to have. The kind of holiness that we recognize that before God we are broken even in our righteousness, even in our, in our striving to be like Him, that we are lost, broken before God. And that there's a righteousness, that there's a, there's a cleanliness, there's a perfection inside of Jesus that we absolutely must have covering us. That God must see us in that kind of righteousness for us to be accepted into heaven. Now we'll certainly get to those two kinds of holiness, but first I'd like for us to review the pieces of our vision that we've covered thus far. And then we'll unveil the next one. So bring up that first portion. New Covenant Community Church exists to praise Jesus through worshiping the Word. Next one. Proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations. And next, practice holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. Now, if you find these pleasing to the Lord, I'd ask you to say all of these with me as we read it from the top to the bottom. New Covenant Community Church exists to praise Jesus through worship and the Word, to proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations, and to practice holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. Now that next piece of vision, that bottom line, we've already preached through the first two, but the third one you see there is our next piece of vision for our church and my pastoral brain sees about 8,000 different sermons in that one line. But I'll do my very best to, to preach it as the Lord leads me today. I recognize, church, that I'm a young man. Uh, but I do also know that I've had great experience, good experience in ministry. And if I, could, if I made a broad observation of my years of ministry experience that I've had, or even that matter, for that matter, just being a Christian, if I could make a broad observation about the whole of Christianity of what is most lacking today, both in the individual believer's life and collectively in the church, the thing that is most lacking is holiness. Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace. Everyone say the word pursue. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. You and I are to practice holiness in such a way that allows us to see the Lord. Now, if I could do nothing else as the pastor of this church, as your pastor, if I did nothing else but caused us to see the Lord, both in time and in eternity, both in our life here in a church and in eternity, if I did nothing else but, but led us in a way of holiness that allowed us to see the Lord in those ways, 
I would die a successful man as a, as a pastor called of God. I would, I would have done a good job before the Lord if I could cause us to see the Lord at work in our lives and in these tumultuous times and these nutty times in which we live that, that the Holy Spirit would move among us and work among our church and be among our hearts and change us from the inside out and then for the end of our days to come and then for us to see the Lord in eternity. That would be a great, great success. So this first kind of holiness... The kind that we strive for. The kind where we view the, G- the life of Jesus and we try to be like Him. The kind where we, we willfully lead the horse up side by side so we can sit and watch the master craftsman use his hands and, and we seek to be like Him. This first kind. If you're in Leviticus 11, find your way to verse 44 where we read and it says, God says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourself yourselves and you shall be holy for i am holy now some people initially might be thinking to yourself well preacher that's old testament that's the old covenant is that still what we're called to today and the answer to that would be yes first peter chapter 1 verse 15 it says but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written and here's where peter quotes this verse out of out of leviticus it says be holy for i am holy new covenant community church ought to be a people striving after holiness we ought to be a people that willfully leads the horse next to jesus as we watch him use his hands as we watch how he positioned himself in the culture in which he was we ought to watch him and mimic him as we watch how he interacted with people definitely as he interacted with people especially in our world today where there's just conflict in abundance among even sometimes churches we we must look at jesus and watch his life and strive to be like him in this way why is it church that you hear of terrible stories things that christians will do when they fail morally in these horrible horrible ways why is it that you hear of married people in church that will cheat on their spouse why is it that you hear in the Bible, you read, we read the story of David and Bathsheba, why is it that you hear of David's great moral failure, a man after God's own heart, failing morally in this way? Why is it that you hear stories of church members that will embezzle money from their workplaces? Or you hear of Christians not tithing, not witnessing, not praying, not reading God's Word? Why is it that you hear of pastors today who no longer preach the Gospel? Why is it that you hear of those horrible tragedies that happen? I believe it's because there has been an abandonment of holiness, of seeking after holiness. Uh, If you've ever watched this process of somebody working, doing blacksmith work on the hoof of a a horse, uh, you'll know that, and if you've watched closely, you'll know that a horseshoe nail has a rough side on the inside of the head and a smooth side. And the reason that is is because there's a saying among blacksmiths that rough side in and what that means is the rough side of that nail is supposed to face towards the inside of the hoof of the animal because that nail if you look very closely has a bevel on it that is intended that as you're driving the nail to place the hoof to place the shoe on the hoof of the animal as you drive that nail the bevel of the nail will protrude outside of the wall of the hoof rather than going straight into where there's live tissue in the animal's hoof where they can feel it. Normally, if it goes out properly, the animal never even feels it. It's like your fingernails. But if you drive the nail too deep, or you, d- you don't pay close enough attention, you haven't, you haven't tried to mimic the tradesperson who showed you this art, who showed you this trade, and, and you don't keep the rough side in, you're not diligent to keep the rough side in so the nail protrudes out when it should. 
what will happen, and this has happened to me, is you're standing there with a the horse and you're tacking it on, tacking it on, tacking it on. And you tack it on and then it's not protruding out the way it should and, and then it goes through the quick. It goes, the animal feels it. And you're holding there, standing there with the leg of a thousand pounds of muscle between your legs and all of a sudden that hoof is just gone. It just disappears and the animal next to you is, is just they blow up and they feel it. And it's a really bad situation because if the shoe doesn't fly off and then they step on it, it drives the nail up even further into the center of their foot. And, and this situation that originally was very calm, relaxed, you're working with the animal and everything is going fine, you can keep tacking and tacking and tacking and all of a sudden you hit one wrong tack and all of a sudden this animal will explode. And, and what I'm saying to you, church, is that you can only expose yourself to so much of unholiness. You can, you can only not keep the rough side in of life so many times. You can only expose yourself to so many movies that you'd be embarrassed to watch with your kids. You can only allow yourself to be so close to that coworker of the opposite sex. You can only allow yourself to live like the world and music and talk and drink and so on and so forth. You can only ignore gospel sharing for so long. You can only be a lukewarm Christian for so long. You can only abandon holiness before so long until you'll strike a nerve in life that makes you lose complete control of a situation that formerly seemed to be totally at peace. You remember the story of David. God blessed his ministry. He was the king of Israel. The Bible says that God gave him peace on every side. He increased his wealth and everything was going fine. He was like a farrier there just enjoying the process of working on this animal and doing what it was that he was called to do and but he kept tacking. There was this, he didn't keep the rough side in of life. He, he allowed a lack of holiness to infect his life when he was, he was walking around on the rooftop when he should have been off to war. And he's, he's visual, seeing this woman bathing that is not his wife. And this, you see this spiral completely out of control. A situation that David had normally under control, but a lack of holiness. Have you ever wondered why? Why does God call us to holiness? Why does God put these walls up the don't do this wall don't go over this wall don't don't cross this line why does God do that for us why did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out why did he say if your hand causes you to sin cut it off why did Jesus say those things you know I'm in my walk with Jesus like all of us are but I think if you could interview David King David if you could have interviewed him before his death, when he's an old, frail man on his deathbed, and while he's, his cognizant mind is still there, if you could go back to that moment, David, knowing that his kingdom was blessed, and the moment that he, the moment that he stopped the pursuit of holiness, the moment that he stopped that, yes, God forgave him. Yes, we know that God still blessed him. But you see, you see this spiraling out of control and this this degrading of the blessing that God would have for him because of this unholiness that David was giving himself over to. I think if you could sit at David's deathbed and you looked into his eyes and you said, David, King David, why does God put up the walls? Why does God say, not, don't do these things? I believe that just perhaps with tears in his eyes, as a, as a man who has seen the counsel of God worked out in his life, I think that just perhaps he would say something like, it's because of love that God puts these walls up. It's because of love that God says, do not commit adultery. My kingdom was used to be in control and everything was good and everything was blessed when I was leading the people and not sitting on my couch like I, I shouldn't have been doing. And God puts those walls up to bless us. It's because He loves us so much. 
And many of us as believers have experienced that. We have, we, we, we've obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ and we've seen the walls that God has put up and we've chosen not to cross those lines. And you get a few years down the road and you look back and you think, my goodness, I can't believe that I even wanted to cross that line. But, but now I see that God was keeping me safe. If that's been you, say amen. You, you know that that is true, that, that God has put some loving borders up for us not to cross over. You know, one of Daisy's favorite things is running on the sofa. She's never seen her mother and I do that ever. I don't know why, where she got that idea. But it's like her favorite thing to do. And, and I'm trying to get her to be called to holiness like her mother and I and put her tushy down on the sofa and not run on the thing. And, and sometimes when she runs on the sofa and I tell her no and she looks at me and does the little no, I'm not going to obey you, she gets her little behind swatted at. Because why? Because I love her. I don't want her to fall down and break her collarbone. I also don't want the hospital bill, but I love her too. <laughs> it's because I love her. I don't, I don't want her to experience that pain. My goodness, I see, you see your kid. For those of you that are parents, you see your children. You don't want anything bad to happen to them. It's because I love her that I'm not going to let her run on the sofa. It's because I love her so much that I want to put these walls up in her life that I don't want her to cross over. Adrian Rogers once said, quote, he says, He who would not fall down ought not walk in slippery places. So are you walking in slippery places this morning, church? Are you a practitioner of Jesus' holiness? What I'm calling New Covenant Community Church to do is to learn from Jesus. Strive to be like Him. Be a willful participant in leading your horse up, tying it next to the life of Jesus and watching Him. Pursue what He's doing. Position yourself in the way that He has. Be a pursuer of holiness. New Covenant Community Church, we exist to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. We exist to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. And we exist to practice holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. Now, there is a huge problem with this first kind of holiness that I've just preached to you. And the problem with it is that it cannot save you. It does not impress God. It does not bring you to God. This is a great, huge problem with this kind of holiness. If you're in your Bibles, go now to Hebrews 8. You should have your thumb or bookmark already there. There's a recognition among the young fair that the person who's teaching them, they, they have inside of themselves the knowledge, they own the tools and equipment that, for the job to be done. For the job for this animal to be properly serviced with their feet and their hooves to be trimmed and reshod, the, 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 person, the person who's learning these things, they know that their teacher has inside of them and owns the equipment necessary to see the job through. And there's a total relying on those kinds of things. You can't just mimic your way into being this, this successful farrier that can properly service these animals. It, it will not happen. And we see the same principle in Scripture. We're in Hebrews 8. We'll be there just a moment. But Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses, all of our striving to be like Jesus, all of our tithing, all of our church attendance, all of our church service, all of our love for one another, all the things in which we would strive to be like those things, they're like filthy rags. And we all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away so this kind of striving after jesus church it doesn't get us anywhere spiritually when it comes to when it comes to saving your soul when it comes to making your eternal home heaven that kind of holiness won't do anything for you you've probably heard the illustration before that if jumping and touching the ceiling represented jesus holiness 
we could all stand up right now and jump. And David would probably jump higher than I would, and I jump, may jump higher than some of you. And, but the point is, is that we would all be at different levels, but all of us would be failing at different levels. Completely inadequate. There, there's, there's no amount of mimicking Jesus that you can do that will then somehow make you right before God. This is why we're to practice holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. There's a relying on Jesus for your righteousness. There's a righteousness inside of Him. There's something that you need that's inside of Him that must be on you for you to be acceptable before God. You know in the Old Testament, if you know your Bibles well, you know that the orders and ordinances of the Old Testament, this being made right before God somehow with sacrificing these animals and Boy, it was a burdensome thing when you would sin before God and you would have to take a, an animal out of your own flock in this agricultural society in which they live. If You'd have to take an animal out of your own flock or purchase one with your own money and then you'd have to go and sacrifice this animal on behalf of your sin. And this was a burdensome thing. It was like every time you'd sin, you have to go back and go back and do it again and do it again. And Boy, the temple. Could you imagine what the temples... Many of us have these kind of pictures of what the Old Testament temple would have looked like. Think of what, think of no matter how clean you try to keep a facility like that, you've got potentially hundreds of animals every day being slaughtered. Think of the blood that would be everywhere. It was a burdensome thing. This, this is a hard thing. People were seeing the visuals, what, the result of their sin in front of them. There, there, there was something that was not inside of them that was sufficient to be acceptable to God. And we see this foreshadowing of, of what Jesus would do if you're in Hebrews 8. Look to verse 7. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that's what we are today. We are God's redeemed children when we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. This great foreshadowing of this new covenant kind of holiness. This holiness not from ourselves, but of Christ that is on us and in us and through us. If you're in Hebrews, flip over to chapter 9. And we see this great fulfillment of what it is that Christ has done. If you're in chapter 9, find verse 11. It says, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. Everyone shout the word good things. Good things to come. This is a good news gospel that we preach. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, the sprinkling of the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. 
this Old Testament system, church, listen to me. It was like putting a clean jacket over a dirty shirt. It was a continual striving of, of one's sins being atoned for. But under this new covenant, we take off not just the dirty shirt, but our own bodies, and we say, Jesus, I, we can't make ourselves clean. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. There's a righteousness, there's a holiness inside of You that must be upon us if we are to enter into Your heaven. There's, there's this imperfection in us. And it's not right. There's a rebellion in us. There's this uncleanness inside of us. And it must be Jesus to cleanse us. And if you love that truth, church, say Amen. Jesus personally achieved the requirements necessary to bring this new covenant about. In the Old Testament, there was this repeated seeking after holiness with the blood of these animals. In the New Testament, there was a one-time remission of sin with the blood of Jesus. And that is good news. Somebody say yes to that. That is, that is good news that there's, there's one sacrifice that we need and His name is Jesus. So to recap, this striving after holiness, the first kind, it's where we strive to be like Jesus. And this is for our good. This is for it to go well with us in our lives. But it cannot save you. The second kind of holiness is the kind that we totally rely on Jesus' blood sacrifice for our holiness. This saves us. Hallelujah. Amen? Good news that Jesus has saved us. Not of ourselves, but of what He has done. Now listen closely, church. There's some theology here that I want you to understand clearly. The promise of Scripture is that the second kind of holiness, which is the kind where we rely on Jesus totally, it is so powerful so impactful, so permeating in our souls that the first kind will be a natural occurrence. This kind of striving to be like Jesus and not wanting to live our own way, but, but desiring to follow after our Master, that will be a natural occurrence when the second kind of holiness has truly taken place in the life of, believer, of the believer where you totally trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15.2 says, Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. A Christian will produce fruit in their life of, of striving to be like Jesus, of this first kind of holiness. There will be this striving for holiness and this fruit because of this wonderful change, this true born-again experience that has happened in the life of the believer because of Christ's holiness in them. Apple trees can't help but make apples. Christians can't help but strive for Christ-likeness in their holiness, in their walk before the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why when we've been changed, we gladly obey Jesus. When you've truly been changed of God, you gladly obey and strive after this holiness because of the imputed righteousness. The righteousness is not from you. It's not yours. It's from Christ. And now it's on you because you've trusted Him. When that's on your life, there's this natural fruit producing and wanting to be like Jesus. That's why when we read the story of the woman in the well or Jesus' dealings with Zacchaeus or, or the woman who was caught in adultery and we see the way that Jesus interacted with them, we want to be like Jesus like in those things. We want to be merciful like Him. We want to show compassion the way that He did. We, we want to position our life in the way that He positioned Himself. Why? Because we've been changed by Almighty God. Luke 22, verse 19, it says, And He took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it 
and gave it to them, saying, This is My body which is given for you. Look to your neighbor and say, You. Likewise, He also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup of the new covenant in My blood which is shed for you. When you recognize that it's for you, church, that Jesus hung and died on a cross for you, that changes you. When you believe that, when you truly believe that, and you don't believe it with this rebellion of I don't need Him, but God, thank You for saving me. Thank You for paying the price that if it wasn't You on that cross, it should have been me. When that penetrates your heart, the natural reaction will be that you want to be like Jesus. There will be this practicing of holiness, not just this external trying to be more like Jesus, but there will be this, when you put all your stock in Jesus, when you put all your stock in trusting Him, you'll be changed from the inside out and there will be fruit. To put it another way, we could say that we strive for holiness not to get to God, but because God has gotten to us. Here's another way of putting it, and this is my favorite. 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, We love Him because He first loved us. Boy, what a good truth. New Covenant Community Church exists to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. We exist to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, and we practice holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. I'll give you one more example of this, and then we will shift gears. Uh, baptism. Uh, in our tradition, in our faith, we don't, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration, that, which is the doctrine that says that someone is saved because of baptism. Uh, I don't see that scripturally. I know most of you don't. We don't see that baptism is actually what saves someone but we do see it as an outward expression of an inward change you've heard that been said before if you've ever witnessed somebody being baptized or perhaps you've explained it that way yourself when you were baptized and and we don't believe that being baptized will regenerate you but we do believe that the regenerated person will be baptized in other words we believe that the apple tree is going to produce some apples if the person has truly been changed of God and they understand what, what Jesus has done, Jesus had no sin, but Jesus was baptized to show us this perfect way that we ought to live, this fruit that we ought to produce, the natural progression of us being changed by the love of God to be then baptized. Which is why when someone has said to me, which they have said this to me, they say that, well, since baptism isn't necessary for salvation, I don't need to get baptized. I trust in Christ as my Savior, but, but, but I don't need that. I, I don't plan to get baptized because I don't need that part of it. And I would say to that person, you're not saved. Because if you understand that you are called to baptism, you understand that you are called to this fruit being produced in your life, and you're just unwillful of it, it's true that your heart has not been changed by Almighty God. The apple tree would never say, I'm not going to produce apples today. It will. It's an apple tree. It's going to produce those things. It can't produce oranges. It can't produce pears. It's an apple tree. A Christian can't produce willful disobedience over and over again. It can't happen. There will be the Holy Spirit in them. There will be this change inside of their heart. There will be this practicing, this seeking after holiness, both of Christ covering them with this grace and mercy and holiness, and then striving with holiness, seeking to be like Jesus because of the fruit in their life. This is not a popular message in the world today, but it is the message of what happens to people that have truly been changed by the love of God. If you believe it, say amen. I invite you now to take your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Everyone, if you can, whether it's on your phone or on your 
hard copy Bible, whatever you have with you, I want you to go to Romans chapter 6, and when you're there, find verse 20. You know, last summer there was a uh, there was a large tree, and, and David, if you would make your way over, I'm beginning to close now. So if you would begin to come over and, and minister to the Lord with music, please. Um, last summer there was this huge tree, lots of trees out on the farm. Most most all of you have been out there to share a meal with Abby and I, and and you see all the huge trees out there. They're everywhere, and of course this one huge tree falls right on the fence. <laughs> so I have to go out there with a chainsaw and clean it up and. And we're in Ohio, you've probably seen this before, that trees will sometimes die because of the vines that will grow around them. They'll choke the tree out. Huge canopy of, of a huge tree will just be filled with these small vines that just choke out every branch and leaf. And it's just incredible what these vines will sometimes do to the trees that we have here in Ohio. And, uh, and last summer as I'm cutting up this tree, there was this, this huge tree that had come down and there's this mess of this canopy that's pressed to the floor and and all these vines that are on the floor as well. And, and I'm in there with a chainsaw trying to limb the thing up so that I can get to cutting it up. And, and my feet keep get, getting caught in these vines. And I have to stop like every 20 seconds to do one of these numbers to try and get all the vines off of my ankles as I'm trying to free myself so I can go about the work and, and get this job done. And, uh, and, and finally I got so fed up with it, I'm thinking, wait a second, I've got all these vines around my feet. And I, every now and again, I have to stop. Like every 20 seconds, I have to stop and pull them off of myself. The <laughs> rest is history from there. I took the chainsaw, the more powerful thing, and, and completely removed them from my feet. What in the world am I preaching to you? I'm preaching to you that in the Old Testament, and that for people that think they're believers today because they're trying and trusting in their own goodness to strive for this kind of holiness, you've got weeds, you've got these vines around your ankles and just like it was in the old testament you got to stop every once in a while and you're trying to take them off your ankles again and you sin again and then you got to go back to church so you feel better about yourself and you got to get them off your ankles again and it's just this it's this horrible process but what has jesus done he's he's there's the power inside of him that's that's visited this helpless situation and and removed the vines from the feet romans 6 verse 20 it says for when you were slaves of sin, when you had vines around your ankles, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't have righteousness inside of you. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? What, what, what was good about having vines around your feet? What was good about having to stop every 20 seconds to get those things off so you could continue on? What was good about these people having to come into the temple and slaughter all these animals every single time they committed a sin. What was good about that? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, having had the vines removed from your ankles, having become free from this power that's not from you but from somewhere else from inside of Jesus, and having become slaves of God, having become His servants, His willful servants. You have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Everlasting life. So what is this holiness about? 
It's not about you acting more like a Christian to make my job as a pastor easier. That's not what this is about. This is about getting vines off of your ankles. This is about not trusting in your own self anymore. This is about trusting Jesus to come and do what you can't. I, I can't get rid of these vines around my ankles. I, I need the chainsaw, the power that's more powerful than me to come and, and take care of this problem. And if you're in sin today, you don't know Jesus, you know that you feel, you feel this inside of your heart that you have to work your way to God, you've got vines around your ankles. And I call you this morning, I, I plead with you this morning, I pray all week long that let the chainsaw come and do the work. Let Jesus come and do the work in your life to remove those vines from your ankles. You don't have to try then. Yes, you strive after Jesus, but you want to because He saved you. The Savior of the world knows your name and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And should your life be required of you this week, you'll be safe. Safe in the grasp of a Savior who loves you, who has redeemed you, and knows you as His child. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for the removing the vines from my feet. God, as believers here today, my goodness, do we just rejoice that we no longer have vines around our ankles. We never have to stop anymore to try and make ourselves clean. And that, that feeling, that pressure of feeling as though we have to somehow work our way to You, it's gone, it's done for, the work has been finished. We love You for it, Jesus. We praise You for it. We stand forgiven and changed because of what it is that You've done. Father, I pray for everyone here, God. Should there be someone here walking around these weeks, even this crazy world that we live in, if they're walking around with vines on their feet, God, would you encourage their heart to come to you? Where you will do the work. Where your holiness will be their own. And where their life will strive to produce this wonderful spiritual fruit of love, patience, self-control, discernment, trusting You. God, there's no sweeter life than what we could give to You. There's no better way to be changed. It's, it's the only way to be changed. To be born again. We love You and we praise You, Jesus. In His great name. And all the church says, Amen. This altar is open. For those of you seeking to have the vines removed from your ankles for the first time or any other kind of prayer need that you have, I'd be happy to be here and pray with you as we sing together.